The early church leader James says this, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But turn on the TV, do a quick scan of the latest news, or look at the tendency of your own heart, and it is clear to see that we often act in the exact opposite way. Anger comes easily. We speak quickly and carelessly, and the patience to listen and understand is, at times, hard to find. But the challenge of our faith in Jesus remains. In a world where it seems everyone is tearing each other down, we are called to be builders of God's better world. Well, good morning to everybody. Um, it is so good to be back in worship with you uh, this morning here in the well, upstairs in the well cafe. I missed you last week, uh, but I know you were in really good hands. I'm so thankful for Pastor Lauren uh, who shared a, a message with y'all last week. Uh, it's going to be back if we haven't met before. My name is Johnny, and I serve as one of your pastors here at First Methodist Mansfield. Uh, always a joy to be in worship together. Uh, first off, uh, before we go any further, I just want to say a big thank you uh, to Voices United who blessed us down here at the well at the beginning of our service. Just incredible young people who came and shared that gift, a kind of back-to-school medley uh, for us. Uh, well Cafe, uh, hold on to your seats. Uh, you're just going to get through this sermon because then they're going to go and uh, bless you at the end of the service, and I can't wait for you to hear that because they were absolutely incredible. So happy for them. Uh, before we continue on our, ser uh, our sermon for today and ending our series, um, I want to lift up next weekend to you. Uh, next weekend, if you are unaware, is Labor Day weekend. Uh, it is a magnificent weekend. Uh, it's, a, it's a holiday weekend. And I know that as you have been very intentional about planning for that weekend to make sure you can get the absolute most out of that, part of those plans is that you are going to be sure to be here in church and as your pastor, I would love to affirm that in you, that the, the decision you're making is part of your rest and relaxation to be here. Uh, the reason next weekend is so important is Pastor David's going to be sharing a message with all of our services, um, kind of a state of the church address, where in a year where we've been through a lot of transition as a church, and a lot of really good and healthy transition, David wants to share uh, with us how God has been working through that transition through this year, uh, through the life of this church, and in each and every one of you, and how God is working now. And as part of that, we'll be looking forward into how God is going to work uh, into the fall and in, in the years to come. And so we're going to be sharing and celebrating uh, what God has been doing. Uh, we're going to take a look at the vision that we have, uh, that God has given us into the future, uh, and remind ourselves of not only our mission as a church, but some of the core values that we have as a church. So uh, if you call this church home, or you're thinking about calling this church home, this is a message that you don't want to miss. So I really want you to be here for that. Now, for the very, very few of you that I know aren't going to be in town next week and um, are choosing not to be in worship, that's no judgment. I'm just kidding. Uh, but for the few of you that won't be here with us physically, I encourage you to join us digitally. Uh, we live stream all of our, not all of our services, three of our services, uh, Saturday night at 6 o'clock, uh, Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11. Um, if you can't be here physically, please join us there because uh, you're not going to want to miss it. Now. This is the fourth and final week uh, of our series called Be a Builder. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, turn or click to Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles uh, in all of our worship spaces, uh, blue ones. And if you're using that blue Bible, it's on page 1818. As part of this series, what we've been doing for the past three weeks 
uh, as we have been examining our call uh, as followers of Jesus, those who have committed ourselves to following Christ and making Jesus the Lord of our life, are called to be builders of God's better world. Jesus talks often through the Gospels about God's kingdom coming here. We prayed it just a little bit ago in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, God. What does it mean to be a participant in the building of that kingdom that is coming here? And that's really what we've been emphasizing throughout this series. And we know that that happens in many different ways. All aspects of our life. Uh, giving uh, sacrificially, uh, living uh, and sacrificially for one another, uh, the way we speak to one another. All of these things are part of being a builder of God's better world. It's something that we have committed ourselves to. And over the weeks, we've been looking at how that uh, is manifested in our life. We've looked through the scriptures, mostly Paul's writings and how he understands the gospel of Jesus uh, and that the spirit of God being at work in us and the calling us individual to be, as individuals to be builders, uh, calling us into unity with one another under Christ, uh, calling us to mature in our faith. And last week, Pastor Lauren shared with you uh, about making room for God. Giving room for God to work, because God is the one that actually does the transforming. God is the one that actually does the changing. We are co-workers with that spirit. And when we work in, 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 uh, in concert with that spirit, we create space for that transformative work of the spirit to work in us and those around us. So that's part of our call as being builders, is creating that space within ourselves and creating that space for others that's conducive for the growth uh, that the spirit wants for them. So that's where we've been. Now, in this, uh, this final week, we're going to be talking about maybe the most difficult, but definitely the most important part of this series, and that is how we continue to be builders even in the midst of conflict. Now, conflict is a reality of life, right? It, it's just part of being human. We are human, so our relationships, no matter how casual or how close they may be, will have conflict. And that's not a statement about our human frailty and our sinfulness, although that is a- a- absolutely part of it. But really, conflict exists because we're human and we're just limited. And part of being a limited human is that we are limited to our perspective. We are experiential creatures. And so our experience in life uh, helps define the way we understand the world. Our experience in life helps define how we interact with the world. The understandings that we have in the world, the way we interact with it, the perspectives that we have, uh, our experience uh, helps shape that. And so when you get a couple humans together who have different experiences or maybe differing perspectives on things, you will eventually come to places in your conversation where you find out that there's a gap, where you think or believe or understand the world in one way and they might see it in another. That doesn't make either one of you wrong, it just makes you different. Right? And that's part of the beauty of being human is that we, we have all these differences and we're able to think and, and understand the world in our ways. But th- something happens when that gap becomes noticeable. When we, when we observe that gap, when that conflict arises in the way that we see the world and understand the world, we have two choices. We have a choice to widen that gap or maybe define the line a little better. Or we have the choice to build a bridge over that gap. To build a bridge over that gap so that we can reach the other side and remain connected in spite of that difference. So that's what we're going to talk about here with conflict. It's so important because it is inevitable. It arises. Even in the closest relationships with those that you love the most, that you are the closest to, that you're most committed to, conflict arises. 
So how do we continue to build through that conflict? That's what we're going to look at today. And I want to do that. I want to begin with a metaphor, a way of kind of a vessel for us to talk about this, something, an understanding that we might have that will help us talk about what conflict uh, does in our life and how we might grow and build through that conflict. So uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, the Olympics were happening. I don't know if you knew about that. Uh, it was kind of a big deal around the world. Uh, and they happen every two years, right? And so they, they come around. I love the Olympics. Does anybody here love the Olympics upstairs, love the Olympics? Uh, I know a lot of you at work were probably like streaming the Olympics and you didn't want your boss to see. Or maybe you are the boss and you can just do that and that's whatever. But uh, I, I love the Olympics. I love it when it comes around. I learned more about geography from the Olympics than I ever did in sixth grade. Like, <laughs> I'm like, that's a country? That's the name of a country? Cool. Like, <laughs> let me bust out the map and find out where that is. Like, I love the Olympics because all these countries, they, they bring their athletes big and small. I love that there was like a country that had like one person that was their athlete that they brought. And then you contrast that with people like the, you know, the countries like the United States or like France that bring like 500 athletes, you know, near and far, and they come together. These athletes that have trained their entire life to play handball, right? Like <laughs> the most ridiculous thing. Like they, they've trained their whole life for this thing, and they've come on the biggest stage the whole world is watching to compete. And the camaraderie that you see between the athletes and, and, and the legends that we get to see, people like Michael Phelps and uh, Usain Bolt, Katie Ledecky, people that come in, they are just so dominant. And you wonder, like, how, how did they figure out? Like, was it just luck that they fell in the pool and they figured out they could swim that fast? Like, how did you know? And what a great gift that is for us to see people give in that way and to compete in that way, how inspirational it is. I just love it. I love all the stories. I love all the backstories, some of the tragic ones, some of the, you know, some of the ones that are just so uplifting. I love them. On a little less serious note, I love all the crazy sports that I don't get to watch all the time, right? You love handball. You love ping pong as a sport, table tennis technically. Um, but I love to watch those and, and things that I don't get to see on a normal basis. But the best thing about the Olympics is the raw competition. The stuff that you can tell. Like this has been a part of the Olympics from the dawn of time, Right? The 100-yard dash, like how pure is that? We're just going to see who can run faster, and that's it. Like that's the whole competition. Like for nine seconds or ten seconds or however fast it is, like we're just going to take off and see who can run faster. That's it. We're going to see who can jump the furthest or the highest or the triple jump, which isn't a real thing. I don't know why that's there. Um, <laughs> who jumps like that? Um, weightlifting, right? Like who can just lift the most weight? Now, when you watch weightlifting, if any of you have watched any of those things, it's so impressive to see these people, right? They're not like bodybuilders, right? They're not all like bumpy, like bubble wrap, but they, they're just big, strong people, men and women that come, and there's just this enormous amount of weight, and they just lift it up, and it's just incredible to watch, but it makes me a little nervous when I watch it. I don't know if you get that way. When you watch the weightlifting, you're just like, Oh, please don't die under all that. You know what I mean? Like, that's just so much weight. I don't understand how our skeletons can hold that up. But I do. I watch it, and it's just incredible to see this weight being lifted, the strength that these people have. So what does this thing, this is the metaphor I want to use, this weightlifting metaphor, right? Like, what does weightlifting have to teach us about conflict? When, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I showed you a picture of Arnold and said, we're not going to talk about him. We're actually going to talk about that today. Like, how does weightlifting uh, what does that have to teach us about conflict? Well, the goal of weightlifting, uh, or any strength training for that matter, is to grow strength, right? To grow muscle. And in order to do that, 
you have to work with the weight. And what the weight does, the, the weight provides resistance. And you work with that resistance. When you're working with the resistance, your muscles have to work overtime to lift that weight, right? Because of the resistance that is given, your muscles have to overcome that. They have to work harder, and then they grow because of it. If weights didn't weigh anything, your muscles wouldn't have to work, and then you wouldn't grow, right? Like, so if weights were just air, like, you don't do anything. But because there is some weight, because there is conflict, there's a resistance, the weight wants to stay on the ground, and you want to lift it up, right? I'm not talking about the resistance of, I should go to the gym, and then you resist that urge to go to the gym. That's not the resistance I'm talking about. I'm talking about the actual weight that wants to stay where it is, and you say, no, I want you up here, right? Like, that is the resistance we're talking about. And when we work with that, our muscles can grow. Resistance builds strength. Without the resistance, you don't build strength. You have to have the resistance. And in the midst of that, you might get a little sore. Your muscles might burn a little bit. You might have a hard time getting out of bed the next day. But through that, your muscles will heal, they'll work through the pain, and they will grow, and you will become stronger. I think the same thing in our relationships, the way we interact with people. Conflict will always be there, but when we learn how to work through conflict in a way that is helpful, in a way that can be done in a healing process, we can, we can grow through that. We can actually grow through conflict. And that's really where I want us to be today, is I, I want us to understand that conflict is a reality of life. And, and though it might help us to find the differences between us, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And that if dealt with properly, we can actually grow and be builders in the midst of that conflict. But there are two dangers in weightlifting, right? Because without proper form, if you go in there and try to lift weights and get strong, but you don't have proper form and you're just kind of careless with the way you lift weights, you can, actually, you can really hurt yourself. You can hurt yourself. I've done it before. You know, I get in there and just think, I'm going to throw these weights around, and then, and then you get hurt because you're not exercising proper form. It's kind of a pun. Um, you're not using proper form and you can get hurt. The second thing is this. If you get in there and try to lift too much weight, you can severely hurt yourself. So it's always understanding that what is too much and not lifting too much, but also understanding what proper form is. This is the guidance for our discussion today in conflict. We're going to look at what proper form might be in, in handling conflict and engaging conflict with others and what happens when we encounter too much weight. Now, I want to make an admission right up front that there is probably four or five weeks worth of material in here. We're not going to be here for four or five weeks. We don't have that kind of time. And, and, and I don't have the ability from this place right here to really get engage all the nuances of conflict resolution and engaging conflict uh, with people. I understand that there's a wide range of what conflict might mean, and there might even be some hurt associated with some of that conflict. And there are varying degrees of relationship in where we experience conflict. And all of those require a little bit of nuance as well. I cannot do all those things from here. So what I want to do is provide a few things to think about when engaging conflict that might change the way we engage and approach it. That's my hope. So let's get started. Proper form. What does it mean to have proper form uh, when we are engaging conflict? Well, there's three things that we need to know. And, and two of these are right off of our sermons that we've been uh, teaching throughout this series. 
We'll start with this one, and it's this idea of unity. Unity. We talked about it a lot. Paul's writing uh, the understanding that the Spirit of God is working toward unity. We find unity in Christ, right? And, and unity is a really important thing to remember in the midst of conflict. I want you to notice with me when we uh, come to a disagreement with somebody or a conflict with somebody, how do we often describe those conflicts? We do it with battle metaphors, right? We say, well, like, that's not a hill I'm willing to die on. Right? You've said it, you know. Uh, or like, that, that's a hill I'm going to get bloody on. Like, I will die on that hill. Like, I, I believe in this thing so much that I will, I will go down swinging on that hill. Or we'll say, choose your battles, man. Pick your battles. Like, you can't fight them all. You can't win them all. So just pick your battles. I'm not here to wage war with these battle metaphors. I, I use them all the time myself. Uh, but what I do want us to notice, when we describe conflict in that way, battles are fought with opponents, right? A battle is fought against an enemy. And, and the goal is to defeat the enemy, so if you are in a battle with somebody, they have become your opponent, and you have to employ the best strategy by all means necessary to win that battle or else you're going to get got, right? Like, and that can't happen, so you have to win. So it doesn't matter what you need to do to win the argument. To, to win the battle, you do it. And people that we love the most, people that we care about the most become our enemy. Even small things that blow up into these huge things. Battles are fought with enemies and opponents, but, but builders, builders have partners. We're not opponents, we're not enemies, but we're partners. And partners don't destroy one another. Partners don't tear each other down. Partners don't try to defeat one another. Partners rather build each other up. And so we remember the unity that we share um, in Christ. When we remember that unity, we remember that we are called to build each other up and that we are not enemies. We are not opponents, but we are partners. We talked about this a lot in week two, uh, that the church is made up of all kinds of different people with different beliefs, different perspectives, but there's this one common denominator, and that's Jesus. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. So that means there are these divisions that will separate us, right, on earth. There are divisions that separate us, and they existed way back then, and they exist now in our world today. And they, they're, they're somewhat artificial and arbitrary, but it could be uh, race, it could be tax bracket, it could be what political party you associate yourself with. But all of these things are things that divide us, that set us apart, that define where I stand and where you stand. And there's often an impulse when we encounter somebody who dresses differently or acts differently or speaks differently or sees the world through a different lens than we do. Uh, our impulse is to tear that person down or to at least make sure that that gap is wide enough that we stay away from one another. But in Christ, all of that was set aside. In Christ, we have now been brought into full unity with one another. And I want to emphasize again, like I did in week two, that unity does not mean uniformity. It doesn't mean that we all have to start thinking the exact same. We don't become robots. We, we have our differences. We always will. We always will have our differences. But that common denominator unifies us in spite of those differences. It transcends those earthly uh, divisions. The founder of the, the Methodist movement 
back in the day. His name was John Wesley, um, a, a big reason why we have United Methodist Churches today. He said this in one of his sermons about this idea of unity. He says, though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike? May we not be of one heart, even though we are not of one opinion? With all, without all doubt, we absolutely may. Herein, all the children of God may unite, notwithstanding these smaller differences. What John, Lee, John Wesley is saying is that we will have differences, but can we not love in spite of those differences? Can we not be united in spite of those differences? Absolutely, we can. Uh, part two, uh, second part of proper form, we, we understand unity. Uh, now we understand maturity. Maturity is the second part of this form. It's been evident throughout our series and throughout the scriptures that we have engaged in that the Spirit of God is always working to preserve unity and promote maturity. Preserve unity and promote maturity. And part of maturing our, in our faith is growing in humility. Now, humility is a word that we hear a lot, and I think it's misunderstood a lot, and we have lots of different definitions, and they're all very good. But one little part of being humble is understanding our limitations, understanding how limited we might be. So my son just turned six yesterday, and he's very curious. He likes to ask a lot of questions, and he, he's learning, he's growing, and that can be super annoying sometimes. But, man, I, I just I have to remind myself I want him to be curious, and I want him to learn, and I want him to grow, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to engage these questions. And so he asks a lot of questions, and I give him a lot of answers. And then he'll go, how do you know that? And I say, because I'm a daddy, and daddies know everything. I don't know how much longer that's going to work, or even if it's working now. I don't know. But, but I tell him that all the time, and the truth of the matter is I don't really know everything. I like to think I do, uh, but I don't. It's something we engage in, but part of being humble is understanding that we might know a lot about a few things, but even in those things that we feel that we have the deepest knowledge of, that our knowledge is still limited. In that same sermon, John Wesley said this, it's a necessary result of the present limits of human understanding that people will hold different views in religion and in ordinary life. That word, necess it's a necessary result of our present limits as humans, that we will hold different views on things. And the key, one of the keys to building that bridge, to understanding one another, is to recognize that there are other points of view than our own. Points of view that might be just as valid as ours. Because we don't know everything. We know a lot, but we don't know everything. And there might be a temptation to perceive when somebody thinks differently that there's a different sort of intention that comes with that, right? A different meaning that, that, that might not be good. Or we might assume that they are going to, uh, to think a certain way because they act or think differently than me. And it might cause us to be suspicious or to keep that gap between us. One of the things that Pastor David said in the sermon a couple weeks ago was this. It really stuck with me. I love it. Uh, it says, maturity leads to not only setting aside our former ways of tearing another, one another down, but also adopting new ways of building each other up. Man, as we mature in faith and we learn to embrace unity under Christ, what we, figured out, what we figure out as part of that maturing process is that when we encounter difference, that maturity is not just about tolerating that difference. It's not just about 
saying, well, okay, well, they think differently, but they're wrong, but that's okay, like, you know, whatever, everybody is entitled to be wrong, and they could be over there, and that's fine. It's not just about tolerating each other, but it's about celebrating each other. Maturing together in faith is not just about tolerating the differences between us, but about celebrating each other, even in the midst of those differences. That's a remarkable step that we take to move from, I just decide that even though we're not different, I'm not going to tear you down, I'm going to refrain from doing those things, but to move from that place into actually building others up, even when that difference remains. Now, I'm not talking about being ambivalent or being indifferent or apathetic to to, to issues. I'm not talking about uh, abandoning your beliefs and just, uh, you, know, ex- you know, accepting the other person's or adopting the other person's belief. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about the differences remaining and celebrating each other in spite of it. And the only way we can do that is with this third part of our form, which is love. Which is love, remembering Paul's encouragement for each of us to love one another always. I'm not talking about the feeling. Week one, we talked about that, that the feeling of love will come and go. But it's about the dealing. It's a really forced rhyme that I'm going to make, but it's not about the feeling of love, but it's how we deal with one another. It's how we live that love with each other. Look, let's look together at uh, Ephesians chapter four. I had you turn there, and let's, let's, let's look at that again so we can so we can get where we need to go. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. We've heard this first part over and over again throughout this series, but hear it again, and hear where Paul goes from there. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for, for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If you pause there for a minute, according to this teaching, whenever we speak careless words to one another, when we're insensitive to the needs of others, we are not only making that life of faith harder on one another, but we are actually working against the Spirit of God that is constantly trying to do, uh, trying to bring us together in unity and promote maturity in all of us. That We're not only making life harder on somebody else, we're actually working against the Spirit of of God, And we definitely don't want to grieve the Spirit, so how do we do that? Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. What Paul is saying here is that we throw away those old ways of doing things. We take off those old clothes and we put on new clothes. The old ways of handling conflict and different are gone. And instead, we should, verse 32, be kind. And compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. This is what we talked about in week one. We talked about the new clothes of kindness and compassion and patience that we put on every day. We make an intentional decision every day to put on love. So that we can become builders and not succumb to the temptation or the impulse, the instinct that we have as humans to tear others down. Paul revisits this time and time again. We saw it in Colossians. We see it here in Ephesians. We see it throughout his letters. Uh, You see it, a big section of it, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's called the love chapter, and you probably had it read at your wedding. Uh, uh, It's fantastic for your wedding, but it's, it's actually what Paul is trying to get all of us believers to do. 
how we all should live this life of love, not just feeling love for one another, but actually live out love for each other. And it includes things like kindness uh, and, and compassion and, and patience, all sorts of things. And he says it never ends. It always endures and it bears all things. It's a decision we make each day to do that. We have to be intentional. And the reason we have to be intentional is because it's not natural. What's natural is when we're faced with conflict is to fight back, not to help build up. So we intentionally put on those new things, proper form, unity, maturity, love. This proper form when handling conflict will help us work through the resistance that we face, the differences that we encounter, the conflict that we encounter, and build our relational and spiritual muscle. And when we do that, the relationships, again, no matter how casual or how close the relationship is, when we do that, those relationships will grow stronger and closer together. And our spirit will grow stronger as well. That doesn't mean that we will never have conflict again in those relationships. Conflict, again, will always arise. It just means those conflicts won't turn into wars anymore. And we'll stop hurting one another. We'll stop viewing each other as enemies and we'll start building each other up again. That way we both become stronger. We both trust one another because of the love that is displayed between us. Now, what, what happens when we encounter too much weight? What happens when we experience a relationship that we don't think can be restored? What happens when, when the conflict, the weight of a conflict seems like just too much? What I want you to know is that not all conflict will be fully resolved. I actually believe that there's some conflicts that cannot be resolved. Not all relationships will be reconciled on this earth. In fact, I don't think there are some relationships that probably shouldn't be reconciled. And I hope that's nobody here, but my bet is that there's a few people here today in church that have experienced that before. That sometimes there are people, there are instances that despite our very best efforts will never recognize the harm that they've done to somebody or the harm that they've done to you. That understanding will not be embraced and no apology will be given and there will be no attempt to build back up what was torn down. That will exist. And sometimes the best thing to do is to step away from those relationships. But hear me when I say that though the relationship may not be reconciled, though the conflict may not be resolved, our call to build is never nullified. That call to build is never nullified. At the end of the day, Paul would maintain and that, that, that there should be this hard boundary, this very hard line that is drawn that we do not cross when it comes to the way we act, to other, act towards others and speak to one another. If you look at verse 29 again, this word, only what is helpful. Speak only what is helpful. I mean, if you have your Bible here today, that's something you should underline. Only what is helpful. And you write out next to that, keep building. Keep building. Our call to build is never nullified. And if you get to the point where it's too difficult... I'm not talking about a relationship where you just don't want to. I'm talking about a relationship that is so harmful that it just cannot happen 
now. The weight is too much. There's no point in Scripture where God just says, okay, well, at this point, just throw it all out the window. Say whatever you want. They deserve it. Just see if you can tear them down more than they are doing it to you. That never comes up. That never comes up. And the the frustration we feel because we see that and we think nobody else is changing this person. And this person might even seem like they're, they're getting away with it. Like it looks like their life is just great. It makes this even more frustrating. And, and it brings up, up this temptation in us. This temptation in us to say, well, this isn't working. This being a builder thing just isn't working, so I have to try a new tactic. I need a new strategy for this relationship. With that, I want to offer this final challenge, this idea of, our call to build is never nullified, that we need to keep building only what is helpful. And the challenge is this, for us not to fall into the trap of playing a game that we are all going to lose. If you fall into that trap, that temptation, to meet somebody else's harmful behavior, somebody else's harmful words with your own, and your attempt is to just burn both of your houses down, everybody loses that battle. Everybody loses that game. So building for you in a situation like that might be simply refraining from doing the things that you really want to do. There might not be the words that you have to speak that build that other person up, but it might be a self-control that is only God-ordained, right? A self-control that keeps us from gossiping, that keeps us from tearing that person down, whether it's to their face or to everybody else. A self-control, a restraint that we might feel, even when we don't think we can say words that are building. And who knows, one day, as we continue to work together, as we continue to work with the resistance and build up our relational strength, maybe that weight that was once too heavy to bear, who knows, maybe one day it can be lifted. As we close our time today, I just want to remind us all, building a builder isn't easy. It's, it's not an easy, it's not a natural thing for us. Often our impulse when we face difference and disagreement is to tear each other down. But we are called to something higher than that. We are called to be builders, especially in the midst of conflict. And Jesus' life is the model for that for us. It's the model for us to, to live as he lived, to forgive as he forgave, to, to love as he loved, so that we might be builders of the better world that he visioned for us. And as we set aside those old ways of dealing with one another, as we set aside those old ways that maybe outside people that don't call themselves Christians, people that don't commit to this life of faith of following Jesus, that might be acceptable. When we, when we put away those old ways and we adopt the new ways, we become more and more like Christ. And we more and more become those builders. Your words, your life, they have the power to either tear down or to build. They have the power to tear down or to build. But regardless of what others do with their life and their words, my hope for all of us is that we will always choose to be builders. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for your presence here with us today. We thank you, God for your love and for your grace that knows no ends, that in spite of our weakness, in spite of our frailty, in spite of our limitations, God, you have chosen us to be your representatives in the world. You have chosen us to be builders of your better world. God, give us the strength. Give us the courage 
to persevere, God, even when it seems like nobody else is, to persevere in the midst of conflict, to see each other as partners rather than enemies, God, to remind us of our limitations so that we may remain humble and seek understanding, God, and that we will always choose love above all else, God. We thank you for that. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray all these things in his wonderful name. Amen.